Morning. How are we doing today? Man, I ask that question almost every week, and I get, was it that bad? How are we doing today? Good. It's good to be here, isn't it? It's good to be here. Uh, I, I saw a guy tweet out, a pastor tweet out, that he went out to dinner with his wife, and uh, they, were, they were on a date night, and at the end of dinner, the, the waitress walked up and said, um, I've got good news for you. This uh, person sitting across the restaurant has paid your bill. Uh, you can go. And he was like, holy cow. And he looked over, it was a church member sitting on the other side of the room. He was really thrilled at the fact that they had bought his lunch and, or his dinner with his wife and just honored by the fact that somebody would get that until they got the bill. And on the bill that was there that would, was paid in full at the top, there was a note. And the note said, keep it short tomorrow. So uh, <laughs> with that in mind, uh, I would like to invite a few of you to lunch today. I would like to buy your lunch. If you are new to Genesis, you've just been hanging out with us for a few weeks, and we haven't had a chance to enjoy a meal with you, my wife, who is sitting over here, and I would love to take you out to lunch today. And so uh, if you can do that, catch me after the service, catch her after the service uh, to join. We, we go to the little Mexican restaurant here in Pacific, and we'd love to take you there today. So uh, th- that, that would be our joy. Um, and I don't know about keeping it short. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but anyway, uh, think about this, though. Good news. That was good news for the, the pastor sitting there when when he got that announcement from uh, the uh, waitress, what's the best news you've ever received? What's the best news you've ever received in your life? All right, uh, so, so here we go. I, I'm gonna do something a little different this morning. What I'd like you to do is, as you think about this real quick, turn and find about three or four people and tell them what that news was. What's the best news you've ever received in life? Just turn around. Uh, I'm gonna give you about a minute and a half to, to have this conversation, not a real long time. And, and don't go to detail, just what's the best news you've ever received in life, all right? Ready, set, go. All right, I bet you, I bet you had some good stuff. I heard, heard somebody down here as they were sharing good news. I heard a, yay, that's awesome, and a high five. Like, Good news is we're supposed to share that, right? And hopefully you came up. I'm sure a few of your groups had a Jesus juke in there, right? It's that Jesus loves me and that he came and died for my sin. Like, that is the best news ever. So if you had that Jesus juke, way to go. Way to be really churchy. That's cool. Um, but, but most of us, you know, it could have been something like, hey, I got an A in that math class and now I can graduate. That's good news. Or in our family, uh, with one of my sons, it was, hey, I got that D in that math class, and now I can graduate. Or uh, it, it might be, uh, hey, uh, you know, uh, you're pregnant with, with twins. At the time, we weren't sure that was good news. Turned out to be great news. Uh, it, it could be the announcement of a wedding or uh, all kinds of stuff. Uh, we, we love good news. Well, we've been talking a lot about this word gospel, this, this central word gospel. And, and we get to where in church, and if you're part of the churchy world, we throw that word around. We have gospel music. We have gospel coalition and uh, gospel project. And we have all the, like we, we kind of just insert gospel into a lot of things. And if we're not careful, we would just start translating that to mean Christian. And this morning, what we're here to talk about in a very clear way is the importance of the gospel in our recipe. Uh, as we talk about what it looks like, like this whole series you saw in the video is us trying to say, what does it take for us to obey the Great Commission where Jesus looked at his disciples and said, go and make disciples. Go reproduce what I did in your lives and keep doing that until I come back. And as you do that, I'll be with you. And, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Baptize them. Go. Like, like this, this commission of, of 
taking the lives of people and seeing them transform, but that transformation is the power of the gospel. The word gospel is literally just a translation of a Greek word into an old English word that means the announcement of good news. We are here to share good news with you, not good advice. We are not here on a weekly basis to give you advice on how to live. We are here to point you to good news that changes everything. And so uh, we're, we're here this morning, we're introducing our first ingredient. Over the next several weeks, multiple weeks, we're going to be introducing 10 different ingredients that we, as we search the teachings of Jesus and wrestle with the New Testament, we are looking at ingredients that we believe that Christ has given to his church to invest in the lives of people as they seek to follow Jesus and grow in that walk with him. And our first one this morning is gospel clarity and gospel fluency, uh, that, that it's our goal really to make sure that, that you understand and know the gospel, because if we don't start with the gospel, our recipe will bake something completely different. More on that in a minute. But to help us understand this, we've got to see a story. I'm going to start with a story that Jesus told. I'm going to kind of paraphrase the story. It's a, par- a story that you may have heard called the story of the prodigal son. Okay, now, if you've heard it called the prodigal son, and you've called the prodigal son, God bless you, I had my whole understanding of that this this story changed when I read a book by Tim Keller Keller titled The Prodigal God, where he unpacks the story. By calling it the prodigal son, we start by admitting, like using that title, we actually start by admitting we don't get the story. But here's the story. Jesus tells a story. It's a fictional story to make a larger point about God's kingdom in the world. And here's what he says. This man had two sons and the first son came to him and said, "Uh, man, I want my inheritance now. I don't want to wait till you die. I don't want to live here anymore. I want to use who you are to get what I want. I want to go do what I want with my life. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I want to go live for myself. And the father gave into him and obliged to give him his, his part of the inheritance, which probably meant the father had to sell off fields, had to sell off animals to, to turn it into uh, uh, finances, to turn it into money, and then hand it to the son, and the son took off and left. And he went and found a place, and he started hanging out with hookers, going to bars, buying, buying drinks on the house for everybody. He would, man, everybody loved him. He was the guy, new guy in town, and he was just all in, like everybody loved him until his money ran out. And then nobody hung around. Nobody wanted to be with him, and he was alone. And he ends up taking a job feeding pigs. Now, in ancient world, Jewish world, pigs were unclean animals, not just filthy, not like it made, like being near a pig made you unable to worship in Jewish ritual. And so as Jesus tells the story, he, he puts a guy at the, the, the bottom of his experience. It has led to disaster in his life where now all he has to eat is handfuls of slop that he's feeding the pigs. And, and, and in that moment he goes, my life's a wreck. I have a good father. If I, if I go home and, and just tell him, hey, I'm back, can, can I, will you hire me as a slave? Let me just work here, because working here is way better than what I'm doing. I, th- I think my father will let me take a job with him. And so he goes home. But what happens is the father who has been looking for him day after day sees his son coming. He runs after him, which means he, he like people wore long flowing, you know, uh, they, you know, this is not, you're in your running shorts ready to go. So it means he had to tie this up. And, and in this ancient Eastern culture, running was actually not something you did for fitness. Running was something that brought, brought shame. You, you, you don't run. 
especially a father doesn't run to this wayward child. He makes sure he knows the mess he is. But this father runs. The, child, the son shows up with his recited speech and he can't even get it out. His father throws his arms around him, welcomes him home, brings him back, and starts to throw a party. This massive party, an invitation into fellowship. And, and what he says is, listen, I have my son back. I don't have a slave, I have my son back. I'm welcoming him home and throws a party. Well, the older brother who was faithful, who was the good son, who, who just did his duty and kept doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing, catches word that they have killed the fatted calf, that they're, they're having barbecue and it's gonna be amazing, and this huge party and all our friends and family members are coming and he is actually angry because he also deserves his part of the inheritance. How dare you take my part of the inheritance uh, and waste it on this kid who left you? And what happens is, is there's a conversation between the father and the older son. And here's the point. If you call it the prodigal son, here's, I want to reshape your thinking because Jesus is pointing something out about the gospel. The story doesn't begin with a man had one son. The story begins with a man had two sons. And the story is not primarily about the first son. It's about the second son. The second son is made up of people who have spent their life in church and they hear the gospel, and they hear this. That no good bum who has wasted his life on the, the, the idols and the sexual living, the gospel is just hoping they will come home, and they don't hear that there is a call of the gospel to the second son. And what's really interesting is Jesus ends the story is that he's throwing a party. It's actually a picture of heaven. It's the older son who isn't in the party, not the younger. What Jesus is pointing out, and what I want you to understand this morning, because we're talking about gospel clarity and gospel fluency, what I want you to understand this morning is that there are two massive enemies of the gospel. And, and the two sons represent these two enemies of the gospel. And what, if you're like me, there is a tendency, but what we tend to do is we tend to step into this place, and I'm, I'm living out of this enemy of the gospel, and then I step over into this place, and I keep skipping over what is central to, to find my identity, my purpose, my worth in these two enemies. The first enemy of the gospel is idolatry. What that first son did is he says, there is something in, that I have that I believe is better than fellowship with my father. And I'm going to go pursue that. The, the, the first enemy of the gospel happens whenever I look at something in this world, something in my life, something I desire. I begin to build my identity, my sense of self-worth, my, my sense of acceptance and, and value in that sex Drugs, alcohol, fame, money, relationships. I mean, there are all sorts of things that we will say, this is ultimate. This is what I'm living for. And we give ourselves to those things. And the gospel announces to the, that, listen, nothing's better than Jesus. Come home. Come home. There is fellowship. There is a party. There is a meal at the Father's table. But, and, and, and I spent my life in churches who knew how to look at those people and clearly say, Jesus died for you. He loves you. He is for you. Come home to Jesus. We knew how to say that, but we were preaching in a whole service, a whole community, a whole church full of older sons who were very careful living in the second enemy of the gospel. The second enemy of the gospel here is legalism. It is a sense where I build my identity on my religious performance. It's being the good son. It's, it's going to church every week. It's saying your prayers. It's, it's, it's 
reading your Bible and becoming a Bible scholar and knowing your Bible deeply. It's, it's doing all the things that are part of the rhythms of life. But what we said was the gospel is really for those lost people. And we missed the fact that the Bible keeps telling us that the whole path of my Christian life is preaching the gospel to myself every day. And we, get, we build churches of older brothers who are very comfortable in what could be lostness as people have built their lives, built their lives on an identity that says, I, am, I must obey and I must perform. And if I do that, God has to accept me. In other words, my acceptance before God is, all, is ultimately based on my performance. Now, the way it happened in my, my heritage is you, you'd go to church. You, you know, I grew up in a church. It was like the one Mike mentioned earlier where you go to church, and we, we would tell people the gospel. Jesus loves you. He died for you. And there would be a point where you'd believe. You'd come to faith. And the first thing you had to do to prove that was to get in the baptistry and get dunked. And baptism is part of the Great Commission. But then from there on, I, I began to hear like the preaching that I would hear was really all the don'ts. If you're really a Christian, you won't sleep with the wrong person. There's truth to that, but if, if you're really a Christian, you'll pray a lot and you'll read the Bible. And if you're really a Christian, you won't listen to rock and roll music. So we're going to have a CD burning party this week. Right? It layers upon layers. And every tradition, like every quote-unquote Christian tradition, when they start feeling very comfortable as the older brother, will create their layers of things, which actually often are find, found in the Bible, but they will make that the basis of what it means to be a Christian. That, what does it mean to be a Christian? Somebody who doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't chew, doesn't cuss, doesn't dance, for the love of God. In one church, doesn't play pool, like playing pool. Like you, you start playing pool, you'll start drinking. If you start drinking, you'll end up naked with the wrong person. And we don't do that, so we don't play pool. Like We, we will create these crazy lists of what the older brother looks like, and we will create whole groups of people who, who become that. Now watch this. This is why this is the first ingredient, and it's the most important ingredient. It is the base ingredient. It is the flour that makes the cookie. Because what we're going to do over the next several weeks is show you things that are what the Bible or what theologians call the means of grace. They are things that I participate in, and I start doing these things. I start reading my Bible, I start praying, I start being faithful with the, the resources that God has given me and realize they're all his, and I give, I'm generous. I, I start sharing my faith, I start, you know, and, and we're gonna start telling you things that you participate in, and the more you do this, the more you trust in Jesus with this, the more it will start shaping your life, and you'll become more and more like Jesus. But here, hear me very clearly, don't miss this. If I pull the first ingredient out and our church becomes amazing, amazing at the rest of the ingredients, what we have given you is the recipe for being a Pharisee, for being an older brother. These two recipes, these two lists of ingredients are exactly the same except this one, the gospel. The fact that the central message of our faith is not a call to perform, it's news. The central message of your faith is not a list of rules and a list of laws. 
it is a, a story. The central message of the Christian faith is not at all about what you must do. The central message of the Christian faith is about what Christ has done. The, the legalism is you do. The gospel is he did, I trust. And if we miss that, we will begin to do all the stuff of the Christian life and we will bake a, a legalism, Phariseeism, and we will become older brothers in a church that is filled with older brothers and we will misrepresent the gospel because what will happen is everybody will come into our church and hear Jesus died for your sin and they will say the goal of Christianity is to make good people. To make people who live a certain way. That's the goal. If we're not clear and continually preach the gospel to the religious, to the older brother, that's what you will hear. That's what the world will hear. I, I don't drink. I don't, I don't do drugs. Maybe I drink a little bit, but I'm, it's not my idol. I don't have these massive life problems. We will begin to hear the gospels for those people, the, the people who aren't here this morning. And I want to tell you every single week, the gospel is for you. Even if, you, like, if you've believed in Jesus, it is a call every week to lift your chin, see the beauty of the story of Jesus, and embrace Christ in the gospel over and over and over again. That is our goal here because the gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. It is not just the story of how to get saved. The gospel, the good pronouncement of, of what the good news of Jesus is, is the A to Z, all the numbers, and everything else. It is everything. And it is the undergirding for, for example, we'll get to the fact that we're going to tell you that it's important to read the Bible and have the scriptures in your life. But I've known a lot of people who were Bible scholars and they were Pharisees. They mixed the ingredients great, but they missed the gospel and began to believe that their identity and worth was on how smart they were with the Bible. And what happens is that that sort of people, and I, I've watched, like I've worked with teenagers for years, I've watched teenagers leave the church over and over again because sometimes the most discipled people with that recipe are arrogant, mean-spirited, hate-filled. They have, they have set standards of bars that they, don't really, that they don't really keep, but it gives permission to look down my nose and judge you because you don't do this like that. And then I look at Jesus, and he's nothing like that. And, and, and my whole experience is this discrepancy between the gospel that I was seeing in the Scripture and the way the people around me lived, not, not because they lived by, by being crazy party animals, but because they were very religious, but there was a, a tone and a tenor to the faith I grew up in that was very different than what I was seeing in the life of Jesus. And the idea that a lot of people in the church I grew up with look more like the people who accused Jesus than Jesus himself. See, these Pharisees are, are, are important in the story of Jesus because they're always looking at Jesus going, if you were really the Messiah, like their whole point was, we're, if you're really the Messiah, you'll be righteous like us. And, and, and this becomes the issue. And so, so we have to wrestle with the gospel. It is the gospel that calls you to redemption. It is the gospel, this good news of Jesus, that opens your eyes to see your need. It is the gospel that saves you. It is the gospel that convicts you as a believer that, that reminds you of your need for the gospel every day. It is the gospel that will change you. It is the gospel that equips and empowers you. It is the gospel that sustains you to the end. It is the gospel that will carry you home to the arms of Jesus when you breathe your last breath. 
We are a Jesus-centered, Jesus-focused church because he is your hope. We are not here to give you advice. We are here to announce news week after week, the gospel, this glorious story of Jesus and what he's accomplished for you. Martin Luther spoke of the gospel like this. I want you to hear these words. This is somebody translating it into Old English, but here it is. Here I must take counsel of the gospel. I must hearken to the gospel, which teacheth me not what I ought to do, for that is the proper office of the law, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, hath done for me, to wit, that he suffered and died to deliver me from the sin and death. The gospel willeth me to receive this and, and to believe it. And this is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consisteth. Now, let me just translate. He says, this is the chief article of every doctrine, and it is the only thing that can create God, true godliness in you is the gospel. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. That's our goal. Our goal is that you would know the gospel well and that we would beat it into your heads continually. And I'm included. I need it beat into my head because what I do is I play this game where I do this dance back and forth between something's more important than Jesus and I need the gospel. My sense of worth is in my performance. I need the gospel. And in this, I'm reminded of the beauty of Jesus, the story of Jesus, the, the central message of Jesus. So Paul in Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul, Paul, in this letter, we're going to look at Romans 3 here in just a minute, but he starts this letter, starts the content of this letter by saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the central message of our faith, because the gospel is the power of God for your salvation. And we use the salvation here. He's not just saying, oh, that, there it is. That's how I got saved. Salvation in Paul's language includes being saved. I, I was saved. I am being saved. I will be saved. As you read Romans, he, he, he is talking about everything that happens in my life is because of the gospel. In other words, our goal for every person, whether you are here this morning as a believer in Jesus or you are here this morning as a seeker trying to figure this out, our goal is to lift your chin and see what Christ has done for you and realize that something cosmic happened in that event and to show you Jesus over and over again. That's our goal. And so, so we want to point you to the gospel. What, well, what is the gospel? Well, there, there's all kinds of different understandings of it, different definitions, but I want to give you one this morning that will frame the rest of the service that comes from this text we're going to read. So here's a, a definition of the gospel. The rest of the sermon, this will be on the screen. So for one who's prone to take pictures or write things down or whatever, it's also on our family worship sheet. If you get that every week, um, I have this there as well. The gospel is the announcement of what God has accomplished through Jesus by grace for our salvation and redemption, our, our, our salvation and the redemption of all creation to be received by faith and therefore, thereby bring us back to God. The gospel is the announcement of what God has accomplished through Jesus by grace for our salvation and the redemption of all creation to be received by faith and thereby bring us back to God. That's just a definition. Now, 
as we look at this, the gospel shows up, it's announced in a lot of different ways. Talk about that in a minute. But central is this, what God has done through Jesus. And so here's Paul writing this amazing letter that we call the book of Romans. It is his magnum opus. It is his, his great work and, and, and probably the deepest cavern in the whole scriptures explaining the gospel. I've known of pastors uh, that have preached Romans and it took them like 11 or 12 years to get through it. In fact, this, this text we're about to read this morning is one, of the, it's one of the Everest peaks in all of the Bible. Someday, we might come back and spend like six or eight weeks just on these verses. It's not my goal this morning. It's just to show you the verses and show you how Paul points out the gospel. And what's happened in this letter? He's writing this letter to this church in Rome, the, the central city in the empire, but it's to the church in Rome. He's never been there but he wants them to be a gospel-rich church and a missionary-sending church. He wants them to see the beauty of the gospel and to be a part of the Great Commission. And very specifically, his goal is that he will come to Rome and Rome will fund his mission trip to go to Spain. He wants to go to Spain. So believe it or not, Romans is a missionary fundraising letter. But he, the, the central focus is the mission of God that is fulfilled in the gospel. And so he's going to spend the first 13 chapters of Roman with this deep end explanation of something that he in one verse in another place explains. And that is the depth and the truth of the gospel. And he is explaining this announcement. And so uh, if you have a Bible, find it, turn to Romans chapter three. Took a really long time to get to our text this morning. I'm sorry for that because it's really the Bible that's most important. But Romans chapter three, verses 21 through 26. Um, if you don't have Bible in your rows, there's some baskets. Uh, some of these rows that have Bibles, we'd love for you to have that one. Reading the Bible's new to you, we'd love for you to keep that as our gift to you. Romans chapter 3, verses 21, 26, page 1042 in these Bibles. What's happened here is that Paul started by this declaration, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He then spends the next three chapters showing us the universal need of the gospel. In other words, he doesn't start by telling us the good news. Paul starts by telling us the bad news. And he spends three chapters saying, if, if you're irreligious, here's the problem. You know God exists, but you run from him and you replace him with anything and everything. But then he turns to the older brothers in the, in, in the tribe and he says, if you're this person, you say, I don't need the gospel. I'm the good son. I go to church. I say my prayers. I, and, and God owes me because of all the good stuff. Like I go to church and I end up like the older brother manipulating my father to get what's coming to me. And he reminds them over and over that their goodness is not sufficient. Their conscience indicts him. And, and what he does, he builds this case that shows that every person at all times needs the gospel. It's starting with verse 21. He changes his tenor from why we need the gospel to what is the gospel. And it starts here. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now, but now. I love that, okay? One of these days I'm going to do it. We're going to do a series about the big butts of the Bible. This is one of them. But now, in other words, Paul's saying, here's the bad news. Oh, but I have good news. Here's the bad news, but the story of Jesus is glorious, and it changes everything. Here's the bad news, but there is cosmic news that changes all creation and can change you from the inside out. You can't save yourself. Older brothers, you're just in just as much trouble as the kid who's in the, the, the pig pen. You are just as much in need of the gospel. Oh, but 
now. Look at what he says. The righteousness of God has been manifested, made known. God's glory and character is made known apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. Here's what he's saying here. He's saying the Old Testament has all these rules, and the tendency for us older brothers is to run to that list of rules and say, I'm going to keep those. Paul, part of his whole argument is that the rules aren't there so you will keep them. The rules are there to point you to Jesus to show you that you can't keep them. That if I really judge myself by the law, I'm nowhere near close. Therefore, the law points us to Christ. The rules in the Bible are not there so you will become a rule keeper. The rules of the Bible are there to show you that you're not a rule keeper. You need a savior. And so he says this, been, the, the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It's, it's interesting, and I'll come back to this in a little bit, but he starts by saying, here's the righteousness of God, and he's talking about God, and then he says the righteousness of God, and he's talking about you being righteous. More on that in a minute. Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here he is in verse 23, affirming what he's already said, all have sinned, all fall, fall short of glory of God. There's no distinction. Older brother, younger brother, we are both in trouble because, and we need a savior and are justified. That word justified means it's a legal declaration where God looks at somebody who is a sinner and says, not guilty. He, he pardons their sin and he cleanses their sin because something has happened for them. This is why it's news. How can you ever be right with God? How can you ever? That's the big question of the Bible. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. How can I ever be right with God? And the answer is that God has overlooked our sin in the person of Christ. And now because of what he did for us, I can be justified. Like if you're a believer in Jesus, this is already true of you. Your identity is not in your performance. It's in what Christ has done for you. And if you're not a believer this morning, I want to tell you that this morning you can come to a point where the God of this universe looks through the, his son Jesus and justifies you. He looks at you and says, you are guilty, but I will no longer deal with you as guilty. I will forgive your sin and cleanse it. He will look at you and say, yes, you're a sinner. You're broken. Your, your heart is, is wicked. Yet I will look at you through the righteousness of Christ. I will declare you are righteous. That's crazy talk. And that's what God promises. And so here he says, uh, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood. That word propitiation, like how many times, how many of y'all use that in a sentence this week? You're like, propitia, what? That's a translation of a word in the original language that speaks of the sacrifice in the Old Testament, that when the sacrifice died, it absorbed God's justice. I deserve his justice, but somebody took it for me. And it's the blood of Jesus, the cross of Christ, the story of Jesus that is the center of this, that where I deserve God's justice and I deserve his righteous anger. You just heard us talk about sexual abuse. Listen, I believe in a God who isn't just sad, but is mad about sexual abuse. That, that it disgusts him. He is settled to be against the brokenness and evil in this world. And, and, but, but once I, I have that belief, like if I believe that, then I have to understand that eventually I'm in his crosshairs. I deserve his justice. And what God did is God absorbed the justice that was due me 
Christ was my propitiation. There's a new word. Try to use it in a sentence this week, okay? But the only way you can use it in a sentence is to talk about Jesus. He is the propitiation. He is the atoning sacrifice. His blood covered my sin. He is a propitiation to be... Uh, propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. This is Paul's way of saying the Old Testament pointed to him and the sacrifices of the Old Testament were all picturing Jesus and God in his mercy for the Jewish people overlooked their sin, but it was ultimately the death of Christ that paid for their sin, not the animals. Verse 24, one of the most important verses in the Bible was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Here, Paul, like I, I pulled the definition from this text this morning. Uh, and, and here, Paul just clearly is, is saying in much more deeper language that the gospel is the announcement of what God has accomplished through Jesus by grace for our salvation and the redemption of all creation to be received by faith and thereby to bring us back to God. That's the gospel. Let's, let's break, this, break this down. The gospel, this is what the gospel is. The central message is Jesus, but, but it is the full explanation of what was accomplished. The gospel is the, the, the announcement. Gospel is the announcement. First and foremost, the gospel is news. It's an announcement of something that has happened. It is the declaration of news that has taken place. It is good news. The word, um, the, 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 one of the most ancient uses of the word gospel is from the Battle of Marathon. St. Louis uh, heard news, like the, last night we were watching news of a young man that actually, uh, his parents, we know, didn't connect this early in the week, uh, ran a marathon this week. And I think, good for him. I, I like, I, I wouldn't make it 0.24 miles or 0.26 miles, much less 26 and a half, you know, all that. But the, the, the marathon comes from the story from uh, the 400s BC in the Battle of Marathon. And the story is basically this, that the, the Persians were marching into Greece and the people in Athens were terrified that if the Persians overran their armies, the next stop was Athens and they would become slaves of the Persian Empire. Everything was on the line. The, the different city-states in the Greek Empire kind of banded together, fought the, uh, the, the Persians. They were really brilliant in their strategy, uh, but the, the end of the, the result was that the Persians were defeated and fled to their boats, and the Athenians, the, the, the Greeks, the, the Macedonians had won the battle, and now they were victorious. But they were 26 miles away. There's no internet. There's no you know, way to get that news. And so the story is that there's a guy who took off with the gospel of their victory, the good news, the evangelion, evangelism of their victory, and ran the 26.2 miles back into the center of the city of Athens, and that he starts at the top of his lungs announcing, we have won. Now, nobody in the city of Athens fought that day, but we have won. Our enemy is defeated. We are free. We can rejoice. That's the good news. All those things are true because somebody fought a battle for you and they were victorious. And now he announces this good news to the city. And the story is that as he ran into the city and announces this good news several times after running 26 miles, he collapsed and died, which is the proper response to running a marathon. But, <clears throat> but that's what evangelism, this is good news. And the Bible says it's like that. The central message of our faith is like that. It's an announcement of something that has been done for you, not the declaration of what you must do. This is why Paul says, 
apart from the law. The law says, here's what you must do. But if I read the law, I go, I don't do this. And God says, therefore, the righteousness of God comes a different way through the gospel. And so he says, it's, it's announcement, not of what I must do. We are not here to give you advice. There's different ways churches, like if you grew up in a church like ours, there was the pounding of the pulpit and looking down the nose at people who lived out in the culture, who lived different lives and who didn't follow the ways of God and who lived, lived in idolatry. And man, we, we started, like I started living the tension of the legalism. But what happened is the response to that were these churches who popped up everywhere and said, we're not going to be legalistic churches. We're going to be practical teaching churches. We're going to help people live their lives the way God wants them to. And so instead of pounding the pulpit and pointing to the no goods out there, they began to give practical sermons on how to live your life. And they would go to Bible verses. They would pull the Bible verses out. They would read through texts and then they would give you practical advice on how to live. Three points to being better with your stewardship and finances. Five points to a better marriage. Three points or four points to finding purpose and meaning in the life. And, and it sounded good. It was really practical, really down to earth. They preached a lot shorter sermons. Everybody loved them. And nobody caught that they were creating older brothers of a different type. They were just giving you new lists, which either meant I walk away and I look at my wife and go, hey, he gave us four points on how to be a better husband. I'm pretty good at this. And the wife went, all right. I know that guy over there. He sucks as being a husband. He's pretty bad at it. I'm better than he is. Like, like, or other times, I would take the points and try to apply it and end up in despair because not only was I bad at this, now I've tried the advice that I was given from the pulpit and I didn't do well. Either way, I am creating my identity that is built on my religious performance. And so, we just, like what happened in, in the American church is we just created a new form of legalism, a new form of week after per week preaching what you must do. And sometimes we show up and we go, I just need something practical this week. Let me tell you the most practical thing, that Jesus loves you and he died for you. And it's a central issue. Like it's the, the question of all of life. We're not here to give you advice. Now, that doesn't mean there, there won't be application from sermons and, and from teaching, but we are here to announce good news, not give new advice. The gospel is the announcement of what God has accomplished, of what God has accomplished. In the text, he points us to the righteousness and the glory of God. Paul says it was to reveal God's righteousness. He says that twice, actually three times. And he says we all fall short of the glory of God. He reminds us of the glorious single God, the God of this universe, the one true and loving God who created everything, and that this God is good and loving and perfect, but he is also holy and just and righteousness, uh, righteous. And that, that, that character of God looks at sin with brokenness, but he is perfect. He can't just tolerate sin. And there's a problem here that shows up, but he says, God did something. God has accomplished something in the gospel. Our hope is not in what I do. It's in what he did, that God has accomplished something for us. And, and this, this amazing phrase where he says, God did this so that he could be both just and the justifier of the ungodly. See, what happens is we often want to ask this question. How could a loving God send people to hell? It's a big question. It's a massive question in our culture. It's a real question. We need to wrestle with that. But if I'm honest with myself in the Bible, the real question is how could a holy and righteous God ever look on me with any favor? How could God maintain his being just, his perfect character? 
and tolerate my sin? And the answer is that the gospel is what God accomplished so that those two goals, God's character is maintained, his justice, righteousness, perfect perfection is maintained, and the wrath, the justice that is due was given, and at the same time, he could be the justifier. He could forgive us our sins. How could a just God forgive me? And the answer is through the cross of Christ. The gospel is showing us what God accomplished in Jesus. Next, the, through Jesus. At the center of the story is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We are here to talk about Jesus. We, like you're gonna hear Jesus talked about every week. And, and there's all kinds of ways to show you the central message. Paul makes it really simple in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where he says, I'm gonna remind you of the gospel that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose up on the third day according to his sins. There it is. Simple, what is the gospel? It's the good news that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, he rose again. That's the central message. We're gonna point you to that. Paul in Romans gives us the deep end of the pool as he gives us chapter after chapter after chapter of the deep truths and beauty of the gospel. We have the, the, in the New Testament the stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that are telling the gospel by showing us the story of Jesus, his birth, his life, his, his, his miracles, his ministry, his teaching, his, then his death, burial, and resurrection for us. And then the whole Bible is actually about the gospel. Every word, every idea, every concept, every image in the Bible is to point us to Christ and help us see the beauty of the gospel. The Bible's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's for me. It's about Jesus. And so it is the announcement of what God accomplished through this man who is also God coming into the world and living the perfect life, dying on, a, on the cross for our sins and and. What the Bible, like what we want you to understand is whatever struggle you're having, whatever problem you're having, the central solution is lifting your chin and seeing what Christ has done for you. So, so we understand, what is the question? Jesus is the answer. What, what, what is the problem? Jesus is the solution. What is the depression? Jesus is the hope. This is the gospel that, that we want you to see Jesus week after week as the hope God accomplished through Jesus. Third, by his grace. Next, by his grace. What accomplished Jesus by grace. In other words, the whole point of the gospel is that grace is the key. It's understanding that it's not based on my merit and what I've done. It is what Christ has done for me. That God gives us his grace as a gift. The text, is, the text tells us that we receive this salvation by grace. It is God's kindness and mercy alone that, that allows us to be saved, that allows us to grow, that allows us to develop, that allows us to be disciples. It is his kindness and his mercy, which always leads to praise, not pride. If, if what is happening among a people who are claiming to know the gospel is pride, that's, a, that, that's like the sure sign that they're not making, making disciples. They're making Pharisees. Humble worship and praise should be the benchmark of a gospel-shaped people. And so, so it, by his grace, for the, our salvation and redemption of all creation, this whole text is reminding us here, this text focuses on our salvation. He uses words like redemption, forgiveness. Uh, he uses the, the, the fact that God is taking me, and instead of looking at me as a sinner, he looks at me as righteous. 
Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, your identity is this. You are the righteousness of God. You're like, I don't feel like it. Right. Let God shape you so that you become what you already are. But that's your identity. You are adopted into his family. You're his kid. You're loved and forgiven and justified. Therefore, in God's eyes, you are not guilty. Our identity is in the gospel and what God has done for us. But it's also the promise that God, like the gospel, the death of Jesus accomplished the promise of the restoration of all things. That by his blood, not only does he save you and me, it is the promise that this whole world, as far as the curse is found, Christ's redemption will reach this. And so uh, Colossians 1, 19, 20 says, In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself, to God, all things, whether on earth, in heaven, making peace by blood of his cross. In other words, Jesus came to reconcile everything in creation to God through his death. So it's not just, the gospel is not only about me being saved. It is about God's purpose for everything in the universe. And something cosmic happened on the day that Jesus hung on the cross that guaranteed the end of the story. The gospel good news of what Christ has done, and it is to be believed, to be received by faith. Like the way I experience the gospel is to trust. Now, a lot of you grew up in a tradition, and and maybe you've had the gospel proclaimed to you where you were like, yes, I believed in Jesus. And we applaud that. We want that for you. That, That means that you found redemption, you found justification, you found salvation in Christ. But this is what I want you to really want to drill down deep The gospel is something for us to look into every single day. And the goal of the Christian life is not for you to start performing. It's for you to keep believing. To keep trusting in what Christ has done. And let the gospel reshape you so that you are a gospel-shaped person in a gospel-shaped community. The path to not being an older brother, is to say, why do I get up and read my Bible? Well, it's because God tells me to, and if I read my Bible, I'll be a better Christian. That's Phariseeism. Why do you read your Bible? Because in the Bible, I find Jesus. And the God of the universe will declare his love and show him to me through this text. Why do I pray? Well, because good-thinking, well-meaning Christians will have all kinds of time of prayer. How many of you guys, like if you're like me, my prayer life struggles so what happened is, is I'm constantly like beating myself up because I don't pray enough. It's an invitation from a loving father to fellowship, which both will help me understand that there's, it's by grace, there's no guilt in that room. There's confession as God deals with my sin, but no guilt for me to shy away. And I'm invited by a great father to a table to, to have a conversation but all of a sudden, prayer becomes a more beautiful thing when the motivation is the gospel. You see, this is what we're saying. We're going to talk to you about a whole bunch of other stuff, but if the gospel isn't baked in, we're going to create older brothers, not gospel-shaped people. We have to have gospel clarity. We have to have gospel fluency, which brings us to the last thing, and thereby bringing us back to God. The goal of the gospel is God. He's both the initiator and the prize. The goal is not so that I will have all this knowledge, it's to know him. The goal is to experience him. The goal is that I will drink deeply from the well of Christ and find beauty in the glory of God, that I'm reminded my identity, my hope, my 
my, my sense of self is not in my performance. It's that I am loved by the creator God. He has proved that by sending Jesus. And I get him. That I live my life enjoying God. Like, I never heard that. Never heard that. Until I was probably in my 40s that the goal of the gospel, the goal of the gospel in your life is that you would enjoy God. That joy was the outcome, that it, it was the goal. I always felt like God was kind of had this frown and kind of uh, looking down on me and go, buck it up, buddy. And that all of Christian life was a boot camp where God through discipline and hard work would change me. It wasn't until I realized that the whole prize, the whole goal is that I would drink deeply from this well that is the glory of God and that I would get him that I would experience Christ in the Spirit, this Trinitarian God in my daily life, that his love would rain down on me, that I would read the Bible, and not because it was a duty, I would, I would meet him in the Scriptures, that when I come to church on Sunday, it's not because if, if good people go to church, it's because when I'm here with you, I, I, I find joy. You are a way that God brings himself to me, that when I, I share my faith, I feel his presence as God uses me to do things. Like, Everything finds its purpose, its motivation, its goal in the gospel. Do you know and believe the gospel? Well, our first answer is, well, sure, if you're a believer, I believe the gospel, I can tell you the story. But do you believe the gospel now? Is the gospel the central message of everything that you are? Have you built your life on the gospel? We as a church know that disciple-making begins with the gospel. We are going to be clear. It's going to be our one message. I remember one time a guy who's an elder just looked at me and said, man, I've been here every week. You just preach the same sermon over and over again. I was like, thank you for noticing. But what he actually was saying is, I get it. Every week, you point us to Jesus. Yes! That's it. I'm a nobody. But I'm telling you, if I can, I can help you lift your chin Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and see this beautiful multifaceted diamond that declares the glory of Jesus and the hope that you will have week after week when you turn from yourself and stop running to your idols or leaning into your identity as a rule keeper and you will run to Jesus as your hope and you will be reminded of the beauty of the story, the announcement of this news, and you will base your life on the gospel. It will change everything. This is who we are. This is all we got. We got one message for you. Every once in a while, we'll help, try to help you have a better marriage or, or, or be better with your stewardship and finances, all that kind of stuff. We will do classes that will help. None of those classes will begin with, here's what you must do. We will always start with, here's what has been done for you. And th that's the motivation behind it. This is who we are. Our kids' ministry, we are going to teach our kids every single week. Like our curriculum right now, every time they go back there, they come out of there with, the, the big point is, about Jesus. It, it, it's, it's where we sing, like this week we did, it's like really clear. We sing the gospel. We lift our eyes to see the beauty of Christ and the story of God and the, the wonder of Jesus. It's in everything we do. This is who we are. We actually have an evaluation tool, okay? This is true. Our, our, our preachers, like we have six guys who preach. And the one thing that they know they're going to be evaluated on is this. I will ask, I will look at them and say, hey, if you preach the sermon and everything you said was true, everything you said was true and could be shown in the Bible, you could point to a text of scripture and show me everything in this text and where you got it and what the text meant. Yet, if that sermon could have been preached 
in a synagogue or a mosque without offending somebody there, we have a problem. In other words, if I, if I tell you, like, open the Bible and tell you four ways to find purpose in your life, it's from the Bible. I, I've pointed out to you. But I could take that sermon and go to, like, pull it from the Old Testament and go, go preach it in a synagogue. And they're not offended because I didn't say, you have no hope apart from Christ. Right? I, I could actually share it in any good public marketplace and everybody would be like, yeah, that, those are good principles. We have missed the point of what we're preaching. We are here to preach Christ and him crucified, the gospel. And, and it's not just for the unbelievers, it's for all of us every Sunday. Because what we hope for you is that while we have gospel clarity, while we have gospel clarity, our hope for you is that you are growing in your gospel fluency. That when you have a struggle, an issue, a challenge, a sin, a brokenness in your life, that you will begin to learn that the first thing I must ask is, what does the life, death, burial, and resurrection mean for this? And when you get in a place where you understand that, where there's fluency, that that is the central question of my life, there you will be on firm, fertile footing to actually be a disciple of Jesus and not an older brother. We want, you to have, we want to have gospel clarity so that you have gospel fluency. This is our first ingredient. And by far, by far, the most important ingredient if we really want to make disciples of Jesus. And so every other one we preach, don't forget this sermon. Okay? Don't forget this sermon. We will make sure that we remind you and so if you're here today and, and, and like this whole journey of faith is new to you and you've never come to a point where you believe the gospel the first time, listen, today, the cross of Jesus guarantees your forgiveness. God will justify you. He, like in a moment, he will make you right with himself. He will forgive your sin. He will draw you to the beauty. He will call you. You will hear his voice in your heart. And you, like you can have this promise of being righteous and just and forgiven by God this moment today. The gospel calls to us. But all of us in the room, there is a response that says, when I hear the, the gospel, my right response is to turn from my idols, my identity as an older brother, and to run to Jesus as my hope. We all have a response as we sing the next two songs. And the response is, do I really believe the gospel? And so as we sing, wrestle with that. Wrestle with that. Band's gonna come and we're gonna worship. We're going to celebrate Jesus. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the truth of the gospel that reminds us of your kindness and goodness in the gospel. May we be gospel-saturated, gospel-rich, uh, a gospel-rich, gospel-shaped church, and may you, in the lives of our people, create gospel-formed people who love you deeply, who are so in tune with the cross of Jesus and what has been done for us by our great and glorious God. And may it result in the fact that we deeply experience and know our God to our joy and for your glory. In your name I pray, amen.